Are you living with a narcissist? How narcissistic men impact your happiness, how to identify them, and how to avoid raising them. That is the title of one of the seven captivating books written by today's guest. She is a psychoanalyst with specialized clinical training in infant parent, child, adolescent, and adult psychotherapy, and is an expert on the narcissistic personality disorder. She's an authority on modern parent-child relationships and is an award-winning author. Welcome to the show, Larry. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's so good to meet you and be here. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Mirror Talk Podcast. I'm so excited and happy to have you here and to learn from you. I'm so delighted. Um, you, you specialize in clinical training in infant, parents, child, adolescent, and adult psychotherapy as well as narcissistic personality disorder. Um, What inspired you to specialize in these fields? And also, what inspired you to write all your seven captivating books? Okay. Well, um, I actually started out as an elementary school teacher, and I brought innovations into the public school system. Now, this is several decades ago. So that was a time when there wasn't individualized instruction and there wasn't, and so what I did, it, I created um, a report card with individual skills for every child. Mm-hmm. So it was quite daunting, but it started to lead me to know each child very individually. And I discovered that I not only was enjoying giving them the academics they needed, but I was really interested in the psychology of each child. Mm-hmm. And so I then got pregnant, had my babies, and decided to um, kind of recharge my batteries and turn towards the field of psychology. And because I realized from that teaching experience that that's really what I was enjoying, Mm -hmm. getting to know the kids, having lunch with them, you know, not only just teaching them. Mm -hmm. And so that became my focus. it narrowed my focus in some ways, but it certainly deepened it as well. So um, psychoanalytic training is, is very extensive, but um, usually you start out with adults, learning how to treat adults. That's the usual path. Um, but I definitely wanted to work with children as well. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got my PhD and additional um, training from individuals, which is a, a a real way psychoanalysts learn. I mean, you have coursework, but you learn one-on-one from somebody you revere and who can really teach you. And um, so I learned to work with teenagers and children. Then um, when I actually became a grandparent, I wanted to restudy infancy. So by then um, there were programs in what's called infant parent psychotherapy. And I went to one in New York City and um, was trained. Now, all this training goes on while you're working. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you stop to train and then work. You just continue learning over the decades in all these different spheres. And then narcissism became a focus because just by chance, I treated several narcissistic men. Mm-hmm. And I had to become a specialist in it. You know, there was no way out. <laughs> um, so, um, but I'm fascinated by how the mind works. Mm. So meeting these, I, I focused on men I, in my book because that happened to be what, what was dominant in my practice, but it's also um, more commonly, the large majority of narcissists are men, not women. But this always upsets people when I say that. It does not mean there aren't women who are narcissists. There are. Mm-hmm. I just, to create a book that made sense, I um, focused in on a subgroup of very successful narcissistic men. Mm-hmm. I found that fa- fascinating. And those were the men that I w- was meeting. And I was meeting them individually. And also I was meeting them in couples. So I could see the impact they had on, with regard to the men, on their wives. Why were these women attracted to them or their, their partner attracted to them? And um, 
So it was suggested to me by my colleagues that since parenting had become such a focus and then narcissism, mm -hmm. that I really should extend what I gained from my experience to a broader public. And that's what got me writing. I had written international scholarly articles, but I had never written for the popular, um, for everyone. Mm -hmm. So um, that became my focus, to make these concepts accessible to any reader. That, yeah. was, that was what I really wanted to do. Um, so I created this concept called the Parental Intelligence Way, and wrote a series of books focusing on different topics. It's like one main sort of text, I guess you'd say, Unlocking Parental Intelligence, that describes the process. And then I wrote a, a series of um, littler books, one on anxiety, one on anger, one on exhaustion, one on technology. Yes. And in each of them, I was giving the same um, approach. And as someone like me, we would love to be a parent one day. I'm, I'm excited to talk about that topic very soon. But I would love us to first start with the first book um, called Are You Living with a Narcissist? With a Narcissist. Um, yeah, in, in, the, in this book, you discuss you know, the spectrum of LD to pathological um, narcissism. So in your, in your own definition, what, what is the correct way to define narcissism? And how can one generally identify narcissistic um, behaviors? It's hard to do this briefly, but I'll try to be succinct. <laughs> um, I have organized that what I would call 17 actual characteristics. Mm. And um, I talk about these rather than just tell you what's in the diagnostic manual of narcissism, because this will make, I'll talk about men, but I, it certainly reflects on women too. Mm. Um, it will make them more human to you, so you understand what it is, because people are afraid of that word. Um, so the first characteristic is that the narcissist will talk about himself almost exclusively. Mm. You'll be in a conversation, and all you're going to hear about is him. Mm. Um, I had a patient once who I was talking about the impact I thought he might have on his um, partner, and he said, why are you doing that? We're talking about me, me, me. And he's seri quite serious. He was not joking. I mean, it makes you smile. But he, um, he, was, he was, I can't tell you how profoundly serious he was. So that's going to be a characteristic that you'll pick up. If you're in a social situation, this person is going to dominate. And if they're successful and very smart, you listen. You know, you want to. Um, but... If you are married to that person or living with that person or the child of that person, that dominance overrules you. So a second characteristic is this person will have fantasies of greatness that they truly believe. Now, um, they will see themselves as successful, which they may very well be, very powerful, they may also be that, brilliant, beautiful, the perfect mate, um, and they feel they must have the best of everything, that they're somehow entitled to this. Um, the sad part is that these wishes or fantasies are a way for the narcissist to fend off inner emptiness and shame. And this is really what draws me to this kind of treatment, because there's this mask of invulnerability, and it is a mask. Underneath, this person is suffering. This person is scared and insecure. And all of this outward behavior and talk is a huge attempt to fend off the maybe unconscious, maybe partially conscious sense of inferiority. So... It's easy for people to be very negative towards narcissists. And of course, I understand that, especially if you're the target. Mm -hmm. But I really feel for a person struggling in this way. And that has allowed me to work with them successfully. Um, another characteristic is that they do believe they're superior. Now, this is not, to them, this is not an illusion. 
They're not psychotic, but they believe this. They completely believe it. And so if you don't, they, they're disarmed. You know, they are superior in their mind in every way. They therefore require constant praise. They want to be admired, adored, adulated all the time. And they need that. It's like oxygen to them. So they're going to put themselves in positions where that's possible. Um, they also experience a sense of entitlement that they deserve what they want. They expect others to give them special favors, fill their requests immediately, not question them. Um, and if they are slighted in even the most minor way, you hardly even know you do it, because it's just normal conversation, they will become deeply enraged. You'll also, also often see um, long periods of silent treatment. Um, here, here's a little, examples are always helpful. I, was, I can think of a, a narcissistic man. Um, I'm in no way betraying anyone's confidentiality because this could be a, a hundred people. Yeah. Um, at a birthday party given for him. And he was sitting at a nice, elegant dinner that was prepared for him. Mm. And someone started to talk about something else, what they were doing. The birthday man <laughs> got up and left. He actually left. He couldn't tolerate that the focus wasn't completely on him. He left his birthday party. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's like if you think of a, a small child, you know, a, a two-year-old, a one-year-old, mm -hmm. of course they want your attention. Mm -hmm. And they interrupt you and they don't know social graces and that kind of thing. And, and we not only tolerate it, we enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't ever stop is the problem. Mm -hmm. This is now in a fully grown adult, maybe well, very well-educated um, corporate CEO, let's say, mm. and this person cannot tolerate any thing they perceive as a slight. Mm. So any dissenting opinion, anyone who doesn't, if they're a leader, doesn't want to be their follower. Mm. This is crushing. Mm. What we, all of us feel embarrassed and humiliated at times, but for mm. this person, It's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's like they've been shot down. Mm -hmm. um, so they consequently will take advantage of other people without even, well, they can't, certainly can be what people use the term manipulative, but I have trouble with it because this is done unconsciously. Mm -hmm. In other words, they have this drive to be revered. So if they take advantage of you, they feel that they're doing the right thing in their mind. Mm. Um, they're very envious of others because they want to be number one all the time. Mm. They relish being the center of attention and a very principled quality that you'll often hear spoken of is they lack empathy. And it's even believed by neuroscientists today that a part of their brain is actually different than the quote-unquote normal person. So they are actually incapable of putting themselves in another person's shoes mm -hmm. and figuring out how they might feel. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I almost think of it as a disability. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I think because I have that feeling about it, mm -hmm. um, it's easy for me not to be judging this patient in front of me. Because I, I understand that I'm dealing with somebody whose brain is actually operating differently than the next person's. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's, it, it is fascinating what's being learned. Yeah. Um, another characteristic is they have boundless ambitions that they will or may not meet. You know, their ideals and their sense of who they are may not be possible, but they don't think so. Um, as I said, they're incredibly insecure, actually. Um, but you would never know it if you just met a narcissist because they are remarkably charming. Mm -hmm. This person is a great speaker. Um, 
knows how, if he has the wealth, he knows how to dress, how to impress. Um, he he charms you. You want to listen to him. You um, feel special in his presence. That's the danger. That is the danger. I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, they're certainly extremely competitive because they always want to be on top. Find criticism absolutely intolerable. And an interesting thing about some of these men is they're always on the go, constant activity. Um, it's not that they're the typical, whatever we call a workaholic, it's that they need to be moving. They must go from activity to activity to activity because that is a way to fend off depression, anxiety, any form of suffering. If you're physically moving, if your intelligence is being sparked, um, you don't feel necessary. And that's what they're doing, but they don't know that that's what they're doing. Um, so they want total control so they can get what they need. Yeah. Like nourishment, I guess would be a kind way to say it. Mm. Now, there is something that is written about, that I've written about too, that called the altruistic narcissist. And of course, that's an ironic turn of phrase because they can seem, like I've treated several doctors who are excellent physicians mm. and they appear to have great empathy for their very sick patients. Mm. But it's kind of like a script. They know what to say to make you feel better. And if you're their patient and you don't know them well as a person, mm. you do feel better. Mm. But it's because they've learned how to do that. Mm. As if they're an actor memorizing a script on how, how to have a bedside manner. Mm. Um, but in general life, they will not be in mm. And they don't really care. They, they mm. don't even understand what love is about. Mm. Um, so I think that gives you the main points. You know, I want you to be able to feel what this person is like. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to this. If you're enjoying great episodes like this, then you'll love my show as well. It's called Successful Solutions, and we talk about life-changing stories that save people's lives. Everything from one man weighing more than 400 pounds and losing over 200 pounds, and two stories, one of my own, about losing a personal loved one and the one type of therapy that actually works to help friends and family recover. All that, plus stories from educated doctors, millionaire earners, and car wreck survivors. Go ahead and visit iantolson.com to get my free ebook on habits, plus one of the best episodes on the podcast. That's I-A-N as in Nick, T as in Tom, O-L-S-O-N, iantolson.com. Excited to see you over there, my friends, and enjoy the rest of this episode. Cheers. In your book, you, you talk about, you know, the spectrum of LD to pathological um, narcissism. Can you describe this to me? Is there anything LD about it? Um, narcissism comes from the Greek narcissist. If somebody likes mythology, you can read about it. And he is a figure that looked into the water, saw his own image, and thought this was the be-all and end-all. He could not stop looking at himself in the water. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, the, the reason there is something called healthy narcissism is we all should have some self-love. We, have, we want to have high regard for ourselves. We want to appreciate our strengths and our weaknesses, tolerate our weaknesses, and um, feel good about ourselves. And that's normal narcissism. Mm -hmm. And that's totally fine, not to be confused with the malignant side. Little children um, go through a narcissistic stage, and it's lovely. It's exciting. We love watching these kids get be, want to be the center of attention and be thrilled by a puddle on the ground, you know, and splashing. And, um, you know, this is narcissism. This is totally enjoying oneself and what you're learning. And that's not only fine. It should be promoted. It's wonderful. It inspires uh, learning, it makes the child feel loved and worthwhile, and um, 
when I say worthwhile, what I mean, I, I don't want to use it lightly. The yeah. child feels they are loved and mm -hmm. lovable. Mm -hmm. And that is a tremendously important. But mm. um, when that doesn't happen, trouble. you're setting the stage for the potential of the malignant narcissism mm. where it's craved for forever if there's no treatment. And when does it become a, a, a personality disorder? Yeah, it's a personality mm. disorder if you have the, the, at least five of the characteristics that I was talking about. Lack mm. of empathy is a very big one. Mm. Grandiosity, self-aggrandizement. Mm. Um, you have to have a certain number to be called NPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder. Mm. Um, so there are people who have narcissistic qualities, mm. but um, they don't inflict themselves on others. You know, so we wouldn't, I wouldn't give them a full-blown diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And they're much, much easier to know, like, and even enjoy because mm -hmm. they're full of vitality. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's pleasurable. Um, but they are, they may not be empathic, but they may not have the other characteristics of feeling they're so superior or grandiose or entitled to anything and everything. So that's a kind of middle ground, and I wouldn't call them having a personality disorder. That person can learn about narcissism mm -hmm. and find their way into developing sound relationships. Yes. The malignant narcissist is going to have tremendous difficulty with that. Wow, that's, um, that's very deep. I mean, that's a very critical topic, actually, to, to look into. Mm -hmm. yeah. But for, for the partner now, I'm looking at the, you know, we mention of them being in a relationship, for example, and in your book you you made this illustration of you know couples or a young man with narcissistic traits. Are, are there ways of living you know happy and healthy lives with a narcissist? Is it is it possible to um, you know cohabit with them? Um, it, it's very difficult. I think professional treatment is really required. Mm. Um, first of all, the person is going to remember. Let's just, I'll, I'll make it, um, let's just say it's a man and a woman, to be simple. Mm. And the woman um, is really kind of taken that this man, this young man, let's say they're in their 20s, wants her. Mm. And why does she fall for him? Because she feels special when she's with him, because he makes her feel that way, because he is, in his mind, special. So therefore, anybody he associates with is as well, as long as you stick to his unwritten rules. Mm. So if you have a, a woman who's somewhat self-doubting um, and lacking in confidence, it mm. will boost her to be part of that twosome. Mm. So she'll be drawn. Yes. And um, usually also this partner, I'm using a woman as an example, um, is, happens to be a very empathic person. So she naturally gives what's needed. She admires, she compliments, she praises, she um, does what's needed, she puts him before her. Um, and that's characteristic of what's called a codependent person. She is satisfying something in herself but she's not to blame for it. And, and that is a crucial piece when you say, can a person live with someone else? Mm. When you remember, if you slight the narcissistic man, even mildly, he's mm. going to criticize you. Mm. You did something bad to him. Yeah. And if that's drummed into you day after day, year after year, you mm. begin to think that you're in the wrong. Maybe you've heard the term gaslighting, which yes. is when someone, um, one person in a couple makes the other person feel that everything that's going wrong is the other person's fault. Mm. Now, if you live with someone like this for a long time, you start to think so. You start mm. to blame yourself and fault yourself. Mm. So you, 
will not see what's happening clearly. It's, it's almost impossible, except that you get depressed and you get anxious and you wonder, like, I, oh, this, this hurt me so much. Listening to this young man um, before he went to college and he said to me in the first interview, um, I have no idea who I am. My parents know who I am, who they think I am, but I have no idea who I am. Now, this was the narcissistic boy. And the good thing about that treatment was he was young. Mm -hmm. He was suffering, which sounds odd for me to say that's good, but it means he could feel pain. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to change. He had no friend. Why would people want to be his friend if he couldn't be empathic? You know, mm -hmm. so this is a very lonely guy. Mm -hmm. um, child prodigies like this little this boy when he was little. And that, that's the advantage of my having studied infancy and early childhood, even when I worked with a teenager. Um, a parent with a child prodigy feels that they, their narcissism is being fulfilled because they have a brilliant child, maybe more brilliant than they'll ever be. But that's not the same as loving a child. That's taking that child's abilities and um, raising your own as a parent self-esteem because this is your child. This is a child you can speak of very honestly as being brilliant. And this child will excel and out-excel everybody else in the classroom. And it makes the parent feel important. But whatever the reason this child is a prodigy, this child is still a person. He's not all, intelligence isn't all he is or she is, True. but he doesn't know that. He begins to believe that he must fill the role his parents are designing for him to get their approval. Mm. And he's probably right. Mm. So what happens is, yes, he'll have interests. He will develop tremendous skills. Um, these are people who know 10 languages, so easily their their capacity for math is remarkable mm. um, or they're extremely creative but who they are what they value how they feel about other people that is not being praised mm. that is not being heard and listened to yeah. um, so that's why this young man said to me I don't know who I am and he really didn't. He only knew what his parents expected. Mm -hmm. And he could fulfill it. He could do it. But that mm -hmm. didn't let him know who he was. Yes. Just who they wanted him to be. So and I don't even fault his parents. They had a narcissistic problem themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was just running through the family. And this child had the, the worst fallout from it. Yes. But is it possible for, you know, for, for someone to stop this trait from, you know, running from the parents to the child? Is it possible to raise a child up without the child being um, narcissist? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are two things to think about. One is when I talked about the normal narcissism of the two, three-year-old, mm. we should um, be an audience for our little kids and enjoy them and let them feel enjoyed. That's very important. So we satisfy that need at the age when it's warranted. But then they have to start learning how to share and how to think of how does mommy feel and how does daddy feel and how does my brother feel. Mm -hmm. And as that happens, their, their narcissism is being mellowed or moderated. They're learning to regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's great. That's going to make a normal child. Mm -hmm. Then that's, that's one way. So we don't want to neglect that need. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if we overpower the child and let them feel they're exceptional, mm -hmm. you know, the, the quote unquote special child, mm -hmm. and we overdo that, mm -hmm. the child's going to believe it and think that's what they have to be. Mm -hmm. And that's another, that's the other mistake. It's kind of like the other side of the coin. Yes. 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 You know, so we want children to grow up knowing what's real mm -hmm. and what's ideal and the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. We want them to 
tolerate strong emotion and know how to express it, but not act on it. Mm. And so this is what good parenting is about. You know, it's, it's really about listening, respecting that child hearing what their points of view are, letting them know their opinions, even when they're six, are important. Um, But we do respect that they're six and don't expect them to sound like they're 12. Um, So that's what goes into good parenting, Um, talking and listening and understanding. I'm the most zero punitive parent you'd ever meet. And... My kids were raised with the, what I call the parental intelligence way because it comes so naturally to me. And I honestly tell you the truth that I never punish my kids. We talked about everything. And they're really, really wonderful men today. And why are they wonderful? Not only because I love them, obviously, but because they learned how to talk and listen to people. They, that's how they grew up. So that's how they figure things out. What impact does, you know, culture have on narcissism and what role does, you know, narcissism um, play in our society today? This could really be a separate topic all by itself. We could talk for hours about that because of the the political life we're all immersed in right now. Yeah. Um, Today, but also certainly in past history. Um, there have been very powerful leaders on the world stage, men and women, um, who seek power for their own sake, for their own self-aggrandizement. And they disregard the needs of their constituents. They don't even think that that's what their job is. They They wouldn't define a leader as someone who figures out the needs of the people who voted for them. That's not what they do. Their job in their mind is to be powerful. They are the nation, equal to the nation. The nation is them. Um, An interesting example, if you look into history, is de Gaulle. We we all think about de Gaulle as France. And he he was raised to think that. He was actually raised to do that. But this man, who definitely had the narcissistic qualities, in his old age, as a, still the leader of France for I don't even know how many years, he was able to set himself aside and put the nation first. That is tremendous that this man could do that. The absolute narcissist will not do that. And so how does it affect our culture? How does it affect different cultures in the world, um, different um, Well, let me make it a, a, a distinction. Mm. The narcissist is not a sociopath and he's not a psychopath. I'll say, I'm saying he, but I mean she too. Um, it's the narcissist, it's a sociopath and the psychopath that will become violent. This is the person we have to be afraid of. Mm. The narcissist, we have to understand that he's not going to kill you. He is not going to murder people. He is not going to disregard um, a virus in the nation and people dying. Mm -hmm. Um, The sociopath is a distinct character disorder that is far more malignant and malevolent, malignant, malicious, because... um, they will, if they don't feel respected and they feel slighted, they're not just going to leave the room or give you silent treatment. They're going to feel a rage that turns into violence. Mm. And of course, that's very dangerous. And they're not remorseful. Um, and again, the neuroscientists today say their brains, if you give them an MRI, will show a difference mm. in their cerebral cortex. Um, the actual criminal who um, goes to jail, let's say, the way jails aren't always designed, but if we idealize the way they were, Mm. um, 
are going to have trouble getting rehabilitated because they do not experience punishment the way that most of us do. Mm. Punishment does not deter them. Their brains don't tell them, watch out. Mm. You're going to get caught and you're going to get punished. Mm. They don't think that way. So if you actually don't have that concept, you're going to do things impulsively that other people are not going to do. And you are not remorseful. You do not feel bad. Mm. You feel this is like all you know. It's so hard to get in this person's mind and realize their mind is not like yours. Mm. They really think and feel differently. But it's very important to separate the narcissist from the psychopath. Mm. Very important. Mm. The narcissist is not going to... um, he might walk out on his family, but he's not going to physically harm someone. Mm. You know, he, 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 it, um, he's going to be hurt and he's going to hurt you emotionally. Mm. Um, so, for example, I wouldn't be um, safe treating a psychopath, yeah. nor am I trained to do so. Mm. But a narcissist, I'm not a, afraid of a narcissist. I, I understand the vulnerability that I'm looking at. And that's why I can become and empathic and understanding. And that's what works. That, that's what makes this treatment work. Yeah. Um, nice. But when we look at some world leaders mm. and are so puzzled by why they are so unresponsive mm. to the needs of the obvious, obvious needs of others, mm. we're, ta- we're taking a leap. Yeah. This is going beyond narcissism. Yeah. Lots of leaders are narcissistic. I mean, they, of course they are. They, they love power. They like the center of attention. But they view their power as a means of satisfying those people who voted for them. From your, from your years of experience and all the treatment that you do, would you say it's, it is possible for a narcissist to, to change? First, the person has to seriously be suffering. In other words, feeling a, a major depression, mm. so, tremendous anxiety, or that nothing's going to propel them to even come for treatment. Mm. If things are going their way, they're not going to be suffering and they're not going to think they need help. True. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're um, immobilized by depression, mm. they're going to seek help. Now, once they enter my office, let's say, they have to, they discover, I'll put it this way, that their meeting with me is going to last 45 minutes. And then I might say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we have to stop. Mm. This person's going to have a lot of trouble with that Mm. because they expect and feel that at first, before they've entered or serious, before I, the treatment has begun, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that I am there for, to serve them, mm-hmm. to um, erase their depression in five easy steps. <laughs> and <laughs> if I don't do that, I am failing them. It is not that they have a problem. So right away, it's going to be very difficult to engage this person. Mm. But if their depression is very deep, and if their anxiety is very great, they feel a desperation that's going to keep them in your office. Mm. And then the the form of treatment that actually does produce change, in my experience, is tremendous, unfailing empathy Mm. at almost all times. This is something they have not received. They don't understand trust. They don't know what it is. Mm. They can't give it and they don't know how to receive it. So if you can, as a therapist, be stable, steady, um, kind, and very understanding of the feelings of the other person in a way that you can articulate them so 
In other words, I might be able to articulate something that person can't even articulate for themselves. Mm-hmm. But if I'm right, they feel something they've never felt before. So they need empathy. Empathy is like the main thing they need. Yes, yes, in an extreme way. Mm-hmm. It's a constant understanding of the other person. Mm-hmm. You know, the person who said, we're talking about me, 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 he needed to feel that I was entirely focused on him. Mm-hmm. Now, after a few years, though, it might occur to him to say, um, if he catches something on my face, let's say, are you, are you upset about something? I mean, that will take years. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But um, that's why it's easier to work with a teenager or a college age student uh, because they're still, their brains are still flexible. It's not until you're in your late 20s that your brain is really completely fully developed. Mm-hmm. So you're working with somebody who has a little more resilience as a possibility. Mm-hmm. And um, I can give an example of when I finished with a young man like that, mm-hmm. treatment was done. He said to me, and I knew he meant it, and it wasn't a script. Thank you for knowing who I am. Mm-hmm. Thank you for understanding who I am. And that thank you was so powerful to me because I knew if he was capable of really feeling gratitude, he had changed. Mm -hmm. Finally, there was someone in his life he could trust. Mm -hmm. Couldn't trust his parents, not because they were bad people, but because they were trying to mold him. And he sensed that after a while, especially during adolescence when you're trying to figure out who the heck you are. so, yes, change can occur. Now, there's another kind of change that I've seen occur in couples. Um, a very bright, successful doctor, let's say. Um, like I told you, he has a script of how to sound with his patients. And let's yes. say this is an incredible guy. You know, he really does save lives every day. Um, but when it comes to dealing with his spouse, or his children, um, he, he just doesn't get it. Here's a little example. Um, a man was telling me about how after a hard day's, really hard day's work, a day of work, um, he walks into his house and gets on his cell phone and um, his kids are standing there waiting for him to come home. Mm-hmm. And he says later, later, later. And I say, well, I think they've been waiting for you. Mm. They want you. They want your attention. Mm. So sit in your car for a while and satisfy everything you have to do on the phone before you walk in the house. So when you walk in the house, you can say hi with a smile. At first, this person had no idea what I was talking about. None. He couldn't see the point. He was the center. They should respond to him. Mm. He forgot he was the adult and they were the children. You know, Mm. it just didn't make no sense to him what I was saying. Oh, I just don't agree with you is what I'd be told. Mm. That's that's ridiculous. You spoil children. You know, it it just made no sense. Mm. But in time, it will make sense. Mm. If the therapist is calm, consistent, regular, and gives to the man or the patient what he needs to give to others, eventually he's going to feel that. Mm. So when his wife says, I'm not interested in that movie, let's mm. go to this one. Mm. He has no idea why he should have regard for interest mm. at first, mm-hmm. but his marriage is falling apart. She's not eventually, she's a person in her own right. Let's say she is achieves and she's ambitious. She's gonna, she is going to leave him. She's going to have to leave him for, yeah. for self-preservation. Mm. He might actually feel a great deal of something for her, though he doesn't know what to call it. And he wants to know how to talk with her so that she feels better. Once this helped a lot, I said to a, a man, your wife needs some nurturance from you. Mm. He said, she does? I said, yes, she does. 
all adults need to be nurtured. And if you're just instructing her and teaching her and criticizing her, where is she going to get that nurturance from? Mm. It will be outside of your relationship. True, yeah. That's very true. Some yeah. reason that word touched this person. Mm. It's like I hit on the right word finally because mm. he caught on to that because he needed it. Mm. So he was able to see, okay. He, he, he literally said, I learned something from you today. I almost fell off my chair. I mean, you know, <laughs> that was not what I usually <laughs> heard. Yeah. And, um, but he didn't. He didn't. He now knows something, but doesn't understand it. But I can give him the correct way to talk to his wife, to listen to his wife, and he can follow my directions. In other words, I'll help help him change his behavior and hold that relationship together. But he's not. So he can learn that way, and he he will appear to have changed. Um. But it's still in that script arena, mm-hmm. whereas the young boy I was describing, who was grateful, he really did change. He didn't mm-hmm. just learn what to say, when to say it, and how to treat people in a rote kind of memorizing way. Um, he felt it. It's very hard to make that leap to the person actually feeling it. Mm-hmm. But you can help them get along in society better. Yes. You can help the narcissistic employer treat his employees better. Mm. Um, he will learn, because he's smart enough to learn, mm. that he better listen to what their complaints are, what mm. their needs for promotion are, yes. um, what their pay scale should be. Mm. He'll learn this, and he'll do it because he finds it works. Mm. But not because he feels it. Mm. And so... It's a kind of change, but that's a behavioral change. It's not a really insightful change. So there's a a range of the kind of changes that you can occur, can create. Well, it's also possible to change entirely, like inward and outward, as in to change entirely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Precisely. Um, The connection between what's inside you and what you do outside you. Mm. If that is understood, then this person can finally do what I call self-reflect. This is very hard for most of us, but extremely hard for a narcissist Mm. to reflect on yourself and figure out what can I do and what do I not know how to do and Mm. what don't I do well and what do I need? You know, the, the ability to even seek treatment is hard for most people. And very hard for narcissists because we have a taboo in our stupid society that mental health isn't something we should have regard for. Mm. We have regard for physical health, but we have, we still in this 2021 have difficulty having serious regard for somebody who has a mental health uh, problem. Um, It's not this person's fault. Mm. It's a malady and it can be helped and corrected. But if you have um, internalized that this is shameful and something you should feel makes you a bad person somehow, you're not going to seek help because you don't want to expose what you think is a a bad, quote unquote, bad part of you. Mm. And that's deeply unfortunate. You Mm. know, our society really has made a mess of that. Mm. And we need to... Correct it. This is I've I've learned I've learned a lot about narcissism from you already. Like this is something I've I mean I've always heard about this before, but I've never really, you know, taken the time to really study and you know listen and learn from from about learn from you or learn from from other people about it before. It's right. It's really deep. It's really really deep. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. But you know, I I can tell just talking to you. You asked me at the beginning, do I want to know about you? And mm. I said we're going to know about each other just by talking to each other. Yes. And I can tell by the way you listen to me and the way you're trying so hard to feel what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know, that you're an empathic guy. I just know it. I feel comfortable immediately. Thank and I so knew it, mm-hmm. you know. So I think 
we can know a lot about each other without knowing facts. Mm. You know, we don't have to know how old each other are. We don't have to know um, the jobs we've had. You know, you get, you can feel what a person's about. And um, I know that that's what you're experiencing because I, I, well, I can see your face. You can't see mine. So, we get to know each other very well. And mm. um, I do a lot of writing for something called Authority Magazine. Mm. And so I've written on um, society and um, leadership. And um, what, one of the things that I reiterate over and over in these articles is that we're all far more, have far more in common with each other than we realize. We're not so unique. We mm-hmm. all struggle with some of the similar things mm-hmm. for different reasons, surely. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is we don't all have the same resources to get the help that we need. But if mm-hmm. we can see ourselves as having more in common with everyone than we think, mm-hmm. the word diversity won't even be on the stage all the time yeah. because we're all just human beings. I know that sounds so cliche, but I deeply mean it. And um, I myself, I'll say, um, am more comfortable in a diverse environment than a homogeneous environment mm. because I feel I can be who I am. Yes. And that that will be accepted. Wow. You made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.